Hey guys, welcome to Google Podcast. My name is Rob Watson and I've got a really interesting episode lined up for you today. It's with uh, Dr. Anton Cricketh, who was on the show back on episode 68, which was on solutions to optimize your health and well-being. He's a medical doctor, multiman iron finisher and functional medicine specialist. So we, um, yeah, we've agreed to kind of do another episode and this one's going to be a bit more tailored and, and specific so you can really get an understanding of how Anton works and the advice that he offers is now in depth he goes. I'm actually going to be using myself as the subject for this, but if anyone's interested in getting a bit more of an overview of um, what Anton has done in the past, um, you can check out the previous episode where he, he treats very complex chronic conditions as well as people who wish to just optimize for sports performance as well as maintaining health and wellness. So yeah, uh, Anton, thank you for coming back on the show. Um, Rob, thanks very much for inviting me. Delighted to come back on and looking forward to this. Um, I suppose before before we launch into discussing um, using using yourself as a as a lovely little case example to demonstrate the framework I use, um, just the usual disclaimers in 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 view um, of that. None of this is personal medical advice. Um, we're really just demonstrating the the framework used to assess for root causes of problems and then trying to address those in turn. Um, but none of this is directed towards anybody individually offering any personal medical advice. Okay, great. Thanks for uh, clarifying that. So, uh, Robert, I, I suppose um, perhaps if we if we start at the beginning, you you kindly um, when we agree to to use use sort of a, a yourself as the a uh, case example to to demonstrate the sort of approach to medical problems um you've you completed the usual questionnaires that i use for my patients and intake documents and we did the full sort of blood biochemistry which covers a broad um spectrum of blood tests and in addition to that we uh, we we put those blood test results through a machine learning algorithm called bloodsmart which uh, which gives us additional really useful insights into some of the, some additional possible causes um, which are very difficult for a human being to see even the best trained doctor in terms of looking at at the subtle interactions of blood chemistry so that'll be really interesting to go through all that together yeah i'm i'm really excited to be honest i think it's um it's really interesting doing it and it's gone it to, I got, I've spoken before on this podcast about doing multiple things, working with uh, other functional medicine doctors or working with a herbalist, naturopath and so forth. Um, and each time you get kind of deep understanding and, and this, it's, this has gone an extra level as well. So I'm excited to get the information, but also to see what it can offer to some people to may think if they're looking to, um, you know, delve a bit deeper to get to some of the root causes for themselves. So yeah, it'd be interesting. Brilliant. Um, I wonder if it'd be, it'd be useful before we actually look at um, your information, if uh, I quickly just show the, the listeners, for those who who able to see this, um, for those who are listening, hopefully I can explain it, um, the framework by which we're approaching these things. Um, what we have on screen over here, Rob, is the Institute of Functional Medicine, Functional Medicine Tree, which is a is a nice um, way of 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 um, showing the difference in approach 
between our conventional approach in medicine, where patients get referred into a a medical specialty, depending on what their problem is, whether it's a respiratory problem or cardiology or gastroenterology or whatever. And we can see that as the leaves of a tree. And often people with chronic illnesses have symptoms that span across multiple specialties. So they could end up having to see three or four of these different specialist doctors, each of them really usually just treating the symptoms of the problem. But really, whatever problem is presenting with these symptoms in different organ systems, usually the issues are started many years before down in the roots. And we can see the roots of the tree, if I enlarge that a bit, are our lifestyle factors, sleep, exercise, movement, nutrition, stress, and relationships. And th- how, how those, um, how, how issues with those lifestyle factors then go on to start to generate problems depend on where we have genetic predispositions and different, we all have different vulnerabilities or different areas that, that um, are more likely to then become an issue. And those get influenced by our mental and emotional and, and spiritual side and by experiences and attitudes. And when we put together the whole constellation of antecedents, which of all the things that have happened throughout our entire life from when we're in the womb as a baby, that um, all add up together to start um, to cause issues at a particular point in life, we then potentially might identify specific triggers, which then unmask um, issues. And then we have what we call mediators, which are things which are blocking us becoming well again. And and these might then start to um, generate um, physiological imbalances in various core areas of the body, whether it's in the body's defense and repair, making of energy, transport, structure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And eventually it's only at that stage that we start to get obvious signs and symptoms, as we said, where if you go along to your doctor, you then maybe you refer to these different specialties. But functional medicine wants to rather start to uncover all of these root causes and start by addressing the roots and the trunk rather than working from the leaves downwards. And to do that, mentally, it's when we when we put together all these symptoms and all the history right from birth all the way through to present time from a patient, we're able to then try and identify which of their lifestyle factors can be improved and are modifiable. And that's always a place to start, the sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress, and relationships. We try and identify those antecedents to the illness, potentially triggering things that are stopping them getting well, mediators and perpetuators, as we think about it. And we all work out which of these different areas are causes of the of, of the symptoms they're presenting, with, which we can address. Does that make sense, Rob? It does indeed, yeah, and it's um, it's fascinating as well. When you look at that tree, you you particularly start to have an understanding of how you may particularly feel quite. You know, you might some people's symptoms might start to manifest, say, in the late teenage years or early twenties. But it's understanding that's not just because something's yeah. happened then. It's going back to think, well, it's actually something that could have happened yeah. in in the womb or early childhood and so forth. So yeah, it's really fascinating to get an understanding because often. 
you know, we've all just go to the, in the past, you just go to the doctors and they, if you went with a headache, they give you something for the headache. If you went with a sore arm, they give you with something for the sore arm. So, um, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, and the and the other thing really to appreciate is that um, when when it comes to the root causes, there's there's never a, just one root cause. It's always multiple root causes that are that together lead on to to a chronic illness later on. Um, so it's teasing all of them out and addressing them. And some will be much more important than others. And of course, one root cause may be a, a domino. You know, that's then led. Um, to the other root causes and and uh, uh, fixing that one may may automatically fix several of the other root causes. So all of that's part of the detective work to try and work out which are the priorities out of those different causes. Now, we when we when we looked at your information, you you've you've done a, a whole lot of excellent work already on your own health, haven't you? And you've done quite a journey. And um, I'm I'm. At this stage, really think that you've you've done ninety percent of it, um, and I'm maybe going to tease out a few additional things to consider to see if we can get you that other ten percent of the way in your in your own health. Um, I've noticed that really you 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 had problems in your late teenagers, early early twenties is when you seem to manifest with particularly a lot of fatigue. Um, and and uh, and and gut related issues, etc. And a lot of your work has been in resolving that. Would that would would that be fair over time? Yeah, that would be fair. That was kind of the trigger point of going on a bit of going on quite a journey where, with my own health and, and well being. And uh, it takes, I think, at that age as well, when the internet was in its infancy, there wasn't really. I, I felt quite lost back then. It wasn't until yeah. about eight, nine, ten years after that. That I was able to maybe go on that to go much deeper. Um, so yeah, it does. It seems like a, a good thing, and I think it's you know it's great to hear that you know feel like I'm already in a good place. But it's definitely that you know that extra ten percent can make all the difference. It, it feels in many ways. Um, so yeah, it'd be really interesting to to hear this. What I'm going to show is I'm going to go through another questionnaire which adds additional information around looking for the causes because those are more about the symptoms. Um, and before I do it, I'm just got an infographic up on the screen. Yeah, can you see that nice? Rock? Yeah, I can see it. So I credit this to another one of my trainers called uh, Dr. Brian Welsh. He's a brilliant educator, and he's come up with this concept called the cell blueprint. And the idea behind this is that rather than thinking like most doctors do about working out root causes, rather than thinking. Um, in terms of the, you know, you've got a problem in the heart or the lungs or whatever. If if you've got, let's just say, for instance, you you know, you've got the joint pain and you've got some gut symptoms and you've got one's got some anxiety, for example. Um, what that tells us is that the cells in that area that make up that organ are not working perfectly. So we instead think down at cell level and ask ourselves, what does every cell in the body need? To work properly because if a cell works properly then the tissues that that um, are made up by those cells are going to work properly and if those tissues are healthy then the organ that's made up by those tissues will be healthy and in turn if the organ is healthy then the organ systems will be healthy 
And if the organ system is healthy, then the organism will be healthy, which is the whole human. And in turn, we've got a collection of humans. We have a population or a tribe, and the tribe's going to be optimally functioning if all of them are working well. So let's ask ourselves instead what each cell needs to to have optimal health. What's its blueprint, its plan? And if you look at this inner circle, that's the cell's blueprint. And it can be, its blueprint for optimal functioning can be divided in three categories. Um, a cell needs to provide itself with enough energy, provide to work. It needs to protect itself from harm. And it needs an environment that promotes its optimal functioning. Around the outside, we have things that aren't as important as the stuff in the inside, but they do influence the cell's blueprint. There's a gut microbiome where we live in a symbiotic relationship with one another and there's a two-way um, conversation going on and we improve one another. The other thing is what we call the exposome and that's the sum total of everything you're exposed to from in the womb through to current time. And then we have your genome. But what's important here is not our genetics but rather our epigenetic expression. And that's how the 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 environment and how we live our life can turn on or turn off good or bad genes so we're not a victim of our genes um but we can certainly um influence them in, in a good or bad way so if we look at the provision of energy what the, the cell needs to provide energy is micronutrients so vitamins and minerals oxygen what we call the as our, our substrate so that's carbohydrates or sugar, fats, and ketones. Those are the things that can power the, the cell. And then we have the mitochondria, the energy houses of the cell. There's anything from a few hundred to several million inside each cell in the body, depending on the area in the body, how many there are. Um, and to make energy, we need those work properly. Tech side, we have all the things that could injure the cell and stop it working properly forms of toxins be environmental chemicals toxic metals or they could be biotoxins like mold toxins we have oxidative stress which is like rust inside the body in terms of chemical reactions we have immune dysregulation or autoimmunity and we have hidden infections usually in the gut or in the nose or in the in the teeth often very variety can be reactivated viruses bacteria etc environment to promote the cell to work properly is a good acid base balance the cell being well hydrated our interaction with other people actually changes our physiology so that was an issue in the last two years not interacting at a personal level with people and then we've got communication which is basically how the cells talk to cells next to one another and around around other areas of the body and that's why we use things like hormones neurotransmitters cytokines in the immune system all those things are just signaling molecules ways for cells to communicate does, does that make sense rob it's sort of a mental framework yeah it does it makes it makes great sense and when you're talking about the epidemics it reminds me of uh you come across maybe bruce lipton and listening to his work and um it can be very empowering when people think that they are not um they're not compounded or uh, restricted by the genes. And in fact, actually, it's environmental factors. It's the choices that they make in their life. Because I think sometimes people can 
be told, well, this is just genetics. You're going to have to live with this. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's great. And then, of course the whole thing. Yeah. So that's, um, it's really informative. The other question is you, you sent back to me is the one that informs us that cell blueprint we just showed. It's a cell blueprint symptom assessment. And each of those domains in that assessment give us information about a different point in that circle we just went through. So what I've done is I've taken those scores, I've transposed them into an interpretation, which we've got over here. And what we can see in, so firstly, you don't have any high scores, which is great. So you actually, things are not bad at all on there. Um, but uh, all of us, there's room for improvement, including myself. Um, so what we can see is your, your scoring comes out pretty equal across the three domains of provision of energy, protection from harm, and promotion of environment. They're all round about, you're scoring round about 40% in, in all four. So it's in the green, but it'd be nice to get it right down into the far left of the green if you see my little yeah. fuel gauge over here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we can see the three areas across there. And I've, I've transposed the individual scores for each area. We can see each domain is scored out of from 0 to 15, with 15 being sort of the worst end of things. That's the, the worst score. And we can see we divided into green, amber, and red. So you don't have any red scores, but we've got some ambers that we can work on. And they kind of give us root causes to start thinking about. Now, of course, everything so far that we've looked at is based on your symptoms. Some of this we're going to be able to rule in or out with the blood testing we've done. And others, we can just use the symptoms to, to make some suggestions. Okay. So good. When, when, when we look from left to right across here, the first symptom um, well, the first domain is is scoring symptoms of high blood sugar. And the second one is scoring symptoms of low blood sugar. And you score moderately in both. And if we look across here to score number five, that is scoring what we call metabolic flexibility. Now, metabolic flexibility is what we're after. That's where we equally adept at a metabolic level of being able to burn Carbohydrates is what we can burn fats and flick between them at will, rather than being stuck with only being able to, to use one fuel source, which would make us metabolically inflexible. Now, metabolic inflexibility is really where most of the population is in the Western world. Probably two-thirds, well, actually looking at some recent studies in the US, probably almost 90% of the US population have some degree of metabolic syndrome, which suggests they're metabolically inflexible. Wow. Um, and you you have expressed that you've you've experienced you know you have been experiencing more carbohydrate cravings in the last while so in that provision of energy area the only areas that you're not in the green is those three of both high and low blood sugar and the and really the metabolic flexibility which is the combination of the two things so what we'll look at when we start to look at the blood results as well is to just assess that whole area of blood sugar regulation and what we what what suggestions we can look at there. Okay. Sounds good. In the in the protect area, um, 
the uh, the areas that are going into the amber again nothing in the red but just slightly in the amber and this is actually marginal it's a it's scoring six um that's that's your gut so when we look at your gut symptoms your upper gut is not really scoring at all that's in the green so we picked up your gut symptoms in the other questionnaire but looking here at whether it's predominantly what we'd say is upper gut versus lower gut, it appears to be more lower gut than upper gut in nature. But if we move on to the promotion of the environment section, um, again, these are only moderate scores, but scoring sevens for high and low cortisol. So that's primarily made in the adrenals. Now, they, they do have influence over blood sugar, our cortisol, and also you know, it's as part of the stress response when cortisol changes. Two over here, which we can look at something specific, are the neurotransmitters serotonin and GABA. Um, serotonin, as we know, is responsible for mood, but also anxiety. And GABA in particular can have an influence on sleep, but it's specifically also if our GABA is a relaxing neurotransmitter in the brain, if it's low, then that can lead to anxiety, but particularly anxiety that manifests as feeling quite tense in the muscles and tension across so quite often the neck and the shoulders. Um, the, the one that over here that I think is, is you've got a very good score, a very, in other words, a low score of four, is the very last domain. And I think that really that's really good seeing that you've got that um, good score there. Because that's something um, that's called eudaimonic well-being. And there's actually a lot of research around this. So eudaimonic well-being is really about whether people have a sense of purpose in life, whether they have their why. And you, you have got that. And that's a real positive for health overall. Because it's a, it actually, there's quite a lot of studies showing that people that lack that sense of why, that don't have a purpose, it leads to a huge impact on chronic illness and overall health. So it's that 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 mind body connection. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? When you connect all the dots on this, um, yeah. it's 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 it really does make you think about things on such a holistic point of view. And often when you're ill, you might just think, I just need to change my diet. But actually, it can go much further than that. It could be what's your relationships like, what are you, what's your job like, you know, yeah. um, do you love what you do? And that that passion that you can have for something can transform so many other areas. So yeah, it's interesting to hear that. Absolutely. And you can see it's, what a useful framework this is for just thinking about the whole root cause approach. And this has just been symptoms. We haven't, this doesn't cost anything going through that component. Yeah. Um, so I thought next it may be useful for us to look, look at, um, some of that in terms of the blood chemistry then. Um, so what we did was we took the, the blood results that you had and we put them into the system called BloodSmart, which is designed by a chap called a coder called Chris Kelly, who is also a functional medicine practitioner. Um, and it's, it's, it's very well validated. He's had it published in a peer-reviewed journal. Um, and it keeps getting more and more accurate because machine learning algorithms basically learn from each set of tests that's put through the system. Um, it's a type of artificial intelligence that keeps teaching itself and becoming better. 
Um, and it's got a lot of information in here. So I'll maybe walk you through the different components of this blood smart. So it, it essentially uses a whole bunch of individual blood chemistry markers, which are really obtained from quite standard blood testing. And all, all of this is blood test one is a kind of test that your GP can do um, or that you would get on the NHS. So it's not fancy advanced functional medicine testing. You know, it's not organic acid tests and fancy stool tests. It's just standard blood chemistry. And to be honest, that is still actually the most accurate stuff. Because if you think about it, we've been doing these tests for 80 or 100 years. We know a lot about it. There's been thousands of publications. So we know what, what changes in blood markers do affect our longevity and, and lifespan. Whereas a lot of the fancy tests don't have the same level of validation behind them yet. They're much more recent. So on the first page, yeah, we've got something called an overall wellness score. Um, it's kind of a nicer way of putting a mortality predictor. <laughs> <laughs> which isn't going to scare people. Um, everything on here has actually got links that one can click to actually take you to the peer-reviewed medical publication validating the particular score or thing that's been used. And if you click on a learn more, it'll tell you a bit about how it's been worked out. But essentially, for those who can actually see it, there's a horizontal black line. And the far right end of that is giving your result. And at the top here, we can see the numbers. So you have a score of 85 out of 100. So the highest you can get is 100. The higher, the better in terms of your overall wellness. And a whole number of the blood markers have been used to calculate this wellness score. But you, you're, doing, you're doing really well because we can see the blue box is the range of um your gender within your 10-year age group. So inside the system, there were 726 um, males within your 10-year age group. And their range of score was between 81 and 92, and yours is 85. So you bang in the middle of the interquartile range of your grouping, your demographic. But of course, what we'd like to, to, to do is to get your score even higher and see yeah. what we can you take it up um, and if we click learn more it'll show us which blood markers derive the score and it'll show you the ones that brought your score down are in amber and for you it was something called rdw and something called creatinine we'll talk more about that when we go through those markers so that's what's useful we can see which things we can focus on to bring your score up so if we improve rdw and creatinine that will give you a higher wellness score in that calculation. Wow. Okay, great. Yeah. Now, if we look at another score over here called Pheno Age, this is essentially your biological age. Now, this is really good. You must be really pleased with that. <laughs> no, I saw that when you sent it through to me. I was yeah. like, uh, the Pheno is like 29. I'm like, oh, that feels yeah. pretty good. Like, I, can have, I can have my 30th birthday next year. Yeah, brilliant. And um, I, I, I ran my bloods like this about a month ago, and I'm 52 this year, and my my biological age is 38. Wow. Um, and I've consistently been that because I run my blood smart every year or two. Um, and it generates automatic run charts if you do more than one blood smart. So all of this gets then run charted so you can see how things are going up and down and progression. But as we said, there's always room for improvement. So if we look at your 
Fino Edge, and we can see which things have um, had an impact on that biological edge. In other words, what could we do to bring it, make it even, make you even younger internally? Yeah, that's uh, looking, <laughs> It's looking at the blood glucose, creatinine's come up again, something called MCV, I'll cover in a minute, and RDWs come up again, and then your relative proportion of your lymphocytes, one of the types of white blood cells. You'll see up here, this is a highly validated scoring system. And there's actually been a study demonstrating that, um, that it's a very good predictor of how you're going to fare when you catch COVID. So in other words, if you've got a low biological age on pheno age, you, you've got a, you're going to be a much lower risk. So we know that COVID is an incredibly strongly correlated with age in terms of risk. And it's probably the strongest correlator there is. And the next is metabolic health um but it's not just about your chronological age is it so you know I, i'm i'm moving into that age group over 50 where i'm a high COVID risk but actually i don't think i am really because my biological age is 38 and you the same and you fared well when you caught delta didn't you yeah yeah it was kind of mild mild flu symptoms for about a week to some achy pains exactly and that's what stood you in good stead yeah this this metabolic age and what's those other bits at the bottom maybe people who can't uh, maybe are hearing it or can see it it says it's a good what else is it a good marker for um this at the top um so it, it, I'll, I'll just read what it says there pheno age predicts a variety of aging outcomes including all cause mortality cancers health span physical functioning and alzheimer's disease and then we've got the the link to the uh the peer-reviewed publication reference and then there's a recent preprint suggesting it's a better predictor of COVID 19 severity than chronological age and it strongly outperforms previous measures predict a variety of aging outcomes effectively deprecating our predicted edge. And there we go. And then only all the markers that are used are, as I say, they're standard NHS blood test markers. They're not fancy markers. It's glucose, creatinine, albumin, alkaline phosphatase, MCV, RDW, lymphocyte, white blood cells, and CRP. Right. Yeah, I think uh, it's really useful. I think when people, when I saw it as well, like it can just, um, well, it's incredibly reassuring, empowering, um, yeah. to make you think, well, okay, I've been doing the right thing with the health for the past you know, yeah. half a dozen, a dozen years or so. And you go, okay, yeah, there you go. That's good to see that. And of course, hey, yeah. yeah. And then it obviously ties in, like, see how, you know, how can you continue to optimize it as well? Because still some things are quite, you know, not, not where they are. You go off how you're feeling as well, don't you? So it was nice yeah. to see this and go, okay, that's um, so yeah. Interesting. But equally, even if it's if it's not a result somebody wants to see, and you know their their chronological age, their biological age worse than their chronological. I always say to people, look, this is empowering. Yeah. We've measured it now. We can actually we can do stuff about it. We can see which markers were the markers that were creating that score, and we can look at what are the root cause drivers of those markers being deranged. We can we can address that, and we can remeasure. 
Yeah, and that's one thing I just want to maybe mention to the listeners and stuff. Like for me in the past, going back in my early 20s, when I'd have the symptoms I had and I'd go to the doctors, I'd always feel quite fearful of going to the to the traditional doctors a bit because I never really felt empowered. It, it kind of just felt like, here you go, this is what you need to take. But since I've taken my health into my own hands and work with people like yourselves, functional medicine doctors, nutritionists, every time I go to them and I get blood work, because sometimes in the past I'd have really low vitamin C, low B12, but it was always delivered to me in empowering way saying we can do so you and we can do something about this. This isn't, you know, this isn't you, you know, suffering. This is like, we can really transform this. So um, yeah, it's just, I think it's important for it to get that across to some people. Cause then also maybe sometimes you might feel overwhelmed with all this information, but as working with someone like yourself, it gets digested in such a way where we're probably going to hear in a bit, you know, this is what you can actually do um, with, yeah. with it. And knowledge is power, and and also it can be a motivator, because people may not be willing to make lifestyle changes, but if they can actually see the sort of thing in front of them, that can be the motivation they need to get, then go on to make the correct changes. Yeah. Um, so this page we have now on, on BloodSmart is just representing your actual individual blood marker results. But what is different here to the um to the actual results which we have on this pdf is that traditionally blood results are are looked at in terms of a, the normality of a blood result is traditionally looked at in terms of a laboratory reference range and in the pdf of the the actual results we see them call the reference range a normal range now there's nothing normal about most of the reference ranges in lab results nowadays um, and this is a philosophical thing that most doctors don't really stop to think about but the way the reference ranges are derived is by taking the average of a whole bunch of people who've had that blood test done at the lab and then statistically taking what we call a standard deviation either side of that average value of everybody who has a blood test done now there's an obvious issue to that the majority of people having blood tests done are ill. So we're seeing an average range of sickness, not of health. And what we've seen as well is because of that, we know that the metabolic health and general health of the population has been getting worse over the decades. And those reference ranges actually look completely different 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, what they do now. So they keep shifting because they're taking an average of worsening health at the population level. We're trying to optimize you. We're not trying to assess whether you fit into a range of um, unhealthiness. <laughs> so what we really want to know is, what is an optimal range for a particular blood marker? And this knowledge is out there, and the blood smart has done it for us. Essentially, for each blood chemistry marker, there are multiple studies out there which have looked at thousands or millions of people and spotted at which point a change in that blood marker starts to change long-term mortality because that's what you and I are interested in. What is, what is the blood sugar range or the creatinine range or whatever that's going to give us the longest, healthiest life left? Not whether it fits into the range of average people who've had the blood test done. Yeah, for sure. So what we're seeing depicted here, and it's a nice way to look at it visually, 
is for those who can't, who are just listening, we've got a horizontal bar um, and we've got the optimal range in green. Uh, we've got a, an amber for values outside of the optimal range, but not grossly outside, and then red where it's more significantly outside. And then we've got your value on a, on a horizontal black line where we can see your number. Um, you'll see for the glucose, which is the first one, yeah, and for the next one, which is listed as BUN, blood urea nitrogen, because BloodSmart is an American system, the numbers are going to look a bit odd and different to your actual blood result because it's an American unit. So in the UK, we look at blood glucose in millimoles per liter, where the Americans report in milligrams per deciliter. And the same for urea and the same for creatinine, they're in different units. But don't worry about the units. Let's just look at where it is relative to green, amber, red. Now, one of the things you've been struggling with is, is energy, some carbohydrate cravings. Um, we were talking a little bit about anxiety. Yeah. Your fasting glucose is, is actually slightly on the lower side. So that's good in the sense, you know, we obviously mean, to, you know, it's not looking like you've got insulin resistance. You're not um, high blood sugar. It's a low one. But obviously, it's like anything. We want it to be optimal. If your blood sugar is running a bit too low, that is going to make you feel low in energy, can make you feel a bit um, anxious, and it can also make automatically the body is going to make you want to eat carbohydrates to restore the blood sugar. So obviously what we need to think about is what are the potential underlying possible causes of that? And there's, I won't go into all of them, but there's at least 10 things that can lead to um, what we call some reactive hypoglycemia. And I can exclude most of those of what we know already. But ones we could look at is there are a couple of micronutrients which are involved in that blood sugar regulation. Um, something called carnitine is one of them, which um, another one called chromium, another one called biotin, so the, and as well as magnesium. So we can think a little bit about those micronutrients in the background. Um, the the other is it, it is whether there's any still any remaining immune dysregulation um, or and to do with any possible leaky gut as we talked about earlier on which could be uh, because immune dysregulation can also affect that we you mentioned about the wake-ups at that three four in the morning whether that's to do with blood sugars being a little low and then making the adrenal gland rescue the blood sugar with releasing cortisol to restore it, but in so doing, it'll wake you up because you get a cortisol jump at the wrong time of the day. So those are just possibilities I'm thinking about. Okay, interesting. The We can see creatinine is a breakdown product um, of creatine, which is mostly in the muscle. And usually, traditionally, doctors only look at high creatinine levels because that's how they diagnose kidney failure or kidney problems. But when it's slightly lower than optimal, that suggests that potentially we need to look at, at um, your muscle mass or whether you're eating enough protein or absorbing the protein properly. Now, very few people eat enough protein. 
And your diet definitely, from what I've seen, consists of high quality protein. So you're getting, you, you know, you, you're taking all the boxes in terms of eating the right types of food. But we probably need to have a little look. I, I use an app called Chronometer, which is the most accurate one out there, I think, medically for measuring our food intake in terms of detailed breakdown of macro and micronutrients and ratios of everything. Um, it's worth going through the process of entering a day or two of food to see what your what your actual protein intake is. Yeah. I believe the vast majority of adults should be aiming for between 1.5 to 2 grams per kilogram per day. And not many people actually hit that target. Um, the- I also understand it's important as well, isn't it, to have that in each meal rather than try and just load it up in one big meal. Absolutely. And part of that's because you've got a limit to what you can digest and absorb in one go. And that seems to be around 50 grams at the top end. So anything more than 50 grams, you 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 probably is a bit wasteful and you're not going to absorb it. So you've got to spread it. Now, sometimes that because you you um you do some time restricted eating, I think, which which is metabolically good, but that may make it a little more challenging again if you're only eating two meals. So maybe we may look, if necessary, to using a, 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 perhaps some whey protein supplement in between meals just to, to bump up that extra bit to get a third dose in. We will flick through markers that are in the green and just hover more on, discuss things that are, that are outside of that. Um, uric acid. So yours is... Um, on the lower end of things. Now, you definitely want on the lower end than the higher end. Uric acid is something that doctors usually only do to diagnose gout. But actually, we now have tons of studies to show this is an incredibly powerful marker of metabolic health when it's high. So you definitely rather want to be low than high. And raised is, is only greater than five and a half milligrams per deciliter, which is a lower cutoff than the standard NHS reference range for uric acid. So high uric acid, which is not what you've got, but just for the listeners, is incredibly strongly correlated with poor blood sugar regulation and metabolic health and oxidative stress and inflammation, et cetera. And the things that drive it up the most are are, um, uh, either being low in choline which is an important molecule, and or taking in too much fructose, and particularly in processed foods with high fructose corn syrup, um, drives up those uric acid levels. And there are huge studies showing long-term health correlations with uric acid levels. And you can now actually buy, even on Amazon, a point-of-care uric acid test, a little bit like a blood glucometer, where you can finger prick and measure your uric acid in, in real time. And uh, and make dietary changes and see changes in uric acid levels. So you, would that bounce up and down then throughout the day, depending on what you've eaten? If you there will be some, there will be some change through the day. Mm-hmm. But even a one-off blood test is very useful because if you if you if your diet generally poor and you've got poor metabolic health, it's going to be constantly raised. Yeah. Well, for the sake of time, we're going to move through and just. Um, I'm just going to stop where we've got some higher values or 
values outside. Now, your, your serum iron, which is not a very good marker of, of iron in the body, the other markers that are measured, yeah, ferritin is, is a much better marker. But your serum iron is a little bit raised. Um, and there, like with anything, there's a whole variety of causes. Most of those I can rule out there because you have a normal ferritin level and a normal uh, TIBC, which is another part of the iron study. So the ones we maybe think about is vitamin B6, whether that's something that's contributing to that iron level there. We get down to your full blood count, um, and we'll notice that your hemoglobin and your hematocrit are slightly higher than optimal, and there's a range of possibilities there. Um, most of them we've ruled out through the other blood results, but you'll, um, ones that I want to think about there is, is thiamine deficiency, which is one of the B vitamins, vitamin B1, oxygen delivery, and but the others we've excluded with other tests. And then one of the last values that we'll talk about here, because the others are all in the optimal range, is something called MCV which is um, mean corpuscular volume. It's the average size of our red blood cells. When, when, when these red blood cells are being made in the bone marrow, they go through a whole bunch of different steps in their maturation process. And each one needs a different vitamin or different cofactor to make it progress properly. So if your average blood, if the average size is either too bigger or smaller than what it should be, it will indicate a, a deficiency in a different vitamin, if you see what I mean, that's affected that growth phase. So when that's slightly higher than optimal, the options are vitamin B12, folate, vitamin C, and thiamine being a bit low. There are a few markers that are not included in BloodSmart, which are just here in your, in your raw results. And that's your, we measured your um, male hormones. And your testosterone was, I'd, I'd say, a good, that bang on value for your age range. Um, and your sex hormone binding globulin, that's the protein that the testosterone sticks onto to travel through the bloodstream. You'll see that's reported as being high. That's not a bad thing because we've got a lot of studies that show us that the higher the SHGB, the better insulin sensitivity you have. So it correlates with insulin sensitivity. The only downside is it means that you potentially have less free testosterone than what you would have had, but it's still within the range. Okay. Um, and your thyroid function looks optimal. So there's no issues there. And your vitamin D looks as if you're probably supplementing some vitamin D. Yeah. Yeah. Taking, um, definitely take that during the winter and the uh, autumn months. Okay. The last thing that I'll show you here in, in the blood smart system is this, the section called forecasts. And we'll go to this called forecast bar chart. And this is where the machine learning algorithm comes in. It's looked at all that different blood chemistry results we've just gone through individually. And it's what it's done is um, when this, when this algorithm was created, they took blood chemistry from hundreds of people. And all of those people had actually done some advanced test to measure certain things like toxic met metals in their body and 
individual vitamins and certain environmental chemicals, etc. And the machine learning algorithm then learned what combinations and tiny interactions and nuances in the blood chemistry um, is present when somebody has, for example, increased lead or increased mercury. And it's then it then goes on to apply that in, say, your test now, and is then giving a probability percentage prediction of various things which have not been directly measured. So the important thing to bear in mind, yeah, most of these things on this list, we haven't directly measured them with this blood testing. The machine learning algorithm is suggesting that it may be present. And the higher the probability, the more likely that prediction is going to be true. Equally, when it's a very low probability, so once we get down to 50%, that's clearly just a coin toss. So I'm, I'm really interested in things that are, you know, 80% upwards. Now, what we can do with that is we can be, we can be very cost effective in trying to help someone. So we could either look at that and say, well, it's really high probability. Let's do a little intervention to try and correct that and see how you feel and just repeat the blood smart and see whether that probability comes down. And most of these interventions would be very, you know, they're zero risk things. They're all very safe things to do. Now, what it's also done is it's categorized your forecasts into groupings of vitamins, toxic metals, nutrient elements, metabolic health, immune hormones, environmental pollutants. And we can see which category is, is perhaps an issue. Now, your only category that's coming out as a whole category over 50% is a toxic metal category. That's because of that cadmium. So if we click on that, it opens up. You see how nice this is to look at? Yeah, yeah. You then get a breakdown of what's inside that category. And we've got the cadmium at 81%, but everything else is 50%ers and 40%ers. So we can just ignore them. So that's good in itself. The system's predicting. And I think you mentioned you'd done some sort of collation for mercury previously. Yeah, that's true. Doesn't look as if you have to worry about that at the moment because it's predicting a 44% prediction of inorganic mercury and a 56% of methyl mercury, which I ignore that because that's like a coin toss prediction right. being present. Cadmium is the one that's a, that's a slightly higher prediction over here. Um, so that's just an example of how we can look at the system. And you can do that for each of these areas, vitamins and so on. And how do you focus on the cadmium as well? Then what's the what's the process? Yeah. Okay. So first, let's uh, yeah. To help do that. I'll open another view of the forecast where it's showing us you now see on the screen it's showing each individual item, and what's quite nice here is it's given us potential root causes. What what is worth doing periodically is a scientifically based um, detoxification which would be effective for any kind of buildup and accumulation of environmental pollutants. Because bear in mind, as we looked at in that, um, in our cell blueprint, we have what we call our exposome. In other words, you know, if you've got a little bit of increased cadmium, it may not be anything to do with your current lifestyle because you eat really clean now. But remember these things in terms of environmental uh, toxins, etc., they accumulate over our entire lifespan. Yeah. And unless we 
do things to take them out again, they they you know they don't come back out of the body. They get stored in connective tissue and fat tissue, and they sort of remain there. Um, so there's uh, in terms of um, you know the uh, people will get exposed to 101 sort of so-called detox fads usually every January after Christmas, and it involves having loads of juices and and things like this juice cleanse none of those things are really based in science but at the same time there is a huge science in the detoxification pathways of the body it is really just physiology in the end so i i use a, a system which is actually designed which is put together and i did a did the course through him by the same chap that's that's put together the cell blueprint approach and that's dr brian welsh um and it's based in the physiology and i'll, I'll just very briefly give an overview um, as i said almost all different types of toxins in the body are stored inside fat cells so the first phase of detoxification is to move things out of that storage and that's called phase zero from there things move to the liver and they get undergo chemical reactions to change them from being what we call fat soluble things into being water soluble so we can actually excrete them so they undergo two steps there phase one and phase two happen in the liver and from the liver they're either going to travel in the bile to the gut to eventually leave the body as stool or they're going to travel to the kidney and we're going to pee them out or they're going to get come to the skin and we're going to sweat them out and some things we breathe out but those are the only way you get things out of the body isn't it sweat bowel movement and and uh, and urine um, and each of those areas we can do things physiologically to augment that process to increase phase zero phase one phase two and phase three um, and I've, I've got a system which which one can do one can apply many almost all of those principles at a, at a sort of manageable level year-round as just part of one's lifestyle. But you can also do a more intensive burst of it over a, One can do it either a 10-day program or one can do a shorter sort of six-day program where we really just push all of those things harder. What does that entail then if you're doing a six or 10-day? Um, so what it entails is... Um, a specific diet, which is which in if one does ten days, it goes in two phases. Um, the diet through the whole ten days is uh, is a degree of caloric restriction. In other words, we we dropping the calories a bit because what we're trying to do there is to get breakdown of fat from fat cells, so we can release the stored stuff out of the fat cells and create that phase zero. But at the same time, we're using foods that are very high in amino acids that are going to power the chemical reactions in the liver in phase one and two, those very specific processes. And we know all those chemical pathways and we know what vitamins they need, what cofactors they need and what amino acids drive each of those steps. We, the diet goes in two phases. One drops the calories a bit, but focuses on high protein and high amino acids. The next phase drops it even further the calories. So we can really push that phase zero. The second phase really is, is uh, taken from Walter Longo's fasting mimicking diet. And he's done a lot of publications and many people may have heard of him. He's published 
this work around health span and, and increasing lifespan through these fasting mimicking diet approaches. So that diet's essentially what's been pulled into the second phase of this detox protocol. Alongside that, there's a few targeted supplements to increase some of those liver chemical reactions in the detox. So something called N-acetylcysteine is one of them, and there's a few others. We want people to, uh, we try and really hydrate well so we can get the kidneys being able to um, increase urination. We, um, we use a selection of natural binders, both from, the, from what we include in that diet itself, the detox diet, along with a few supplemental binders like chitosan, et cetera, modified citrus pectin. So they're very general binders. Binders good for environmental chemicals because if we don't use binders, even if you shift all that stuff out of the liver and you get all of that shift of toxins happening, when bile moves into the gut, what happens is when, when, when that, that, um, those toxins in the bile get to the lower end of the, the small gut, um, most of it gets reabsorbed back into the bloodstream and travels back to the liver. And we end up with a continuous loop that goes around as much as 15 to 17 times. So without the binders binding onto those toxins and moving all the way through and coming out in a stool, we don't really get anywhere. The things just go around and around in a loop. Um, and then what we do in a focused way during that 10 day period is that we get people to, um, to, to do some high intensity exercise, whatever they prefer doing for really just a few minutes to start to increase body temperature and start to sweat. And then immediately from that, that uh, burst of high intensity exercise training, jump into a sauna or nowadays people can get sauna tents, sauna sleeping bags, sauna blankets, and we try to drive sweat to get uh, to eliminate um, through the, the toxins the other way. So we're augmenting all of the extraction pathways. And when you put that whole package together, it's, it's, a, it's the most effective scientifically driven, basically working on each bit of the physiology. We use also some targeted supplements or increase the amount of production of bile and bile flow to get things there. You know, when I hear that so as well, I think, I think over you know, a six to 10 window, I think, it, you know, it's, it's, it's manageable. It's kind of, and whether you did that seasonally or just once or twice a year, it would really give you that boost yeah. um, rather than feeling like you have to go on this diet or whatever. However, this is it every day. And I think when you do something like that, you get um, the first couple of days can be challenging um, of stuff because you start to feel like, you know, the detox a little bit pathways or the cravings yeah. kick in or spike. But once you push through that little window of that and you start to yeah. feel the benefits of it, you're like, wow. Um, so yeah, that, that's really quite, that's really quite fascinating. It's a short enough window that people can cope with it and take it on. And equally, as I said, one can shorten it and skip one of the diet phases and just do, kind of the second half if people look feel it looks like it's going to be too overwhelming to do a full 10 days but like you said something that most people would benefit from doing once or twice a year as just a maintenance because we're all constantly being exposed to chemicals no matter how perfectly you live your life you can't take care of all of this and equally you don't want to try so hard that you make life unlivable and miserable 
you know, trying to avoid everything. So maybe just accept that we have to do these sort of maintenance things every now and again. It's a bit like taking your car for a service, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the rest of the time, you just try and maintain the vehicle um, by looking after it. But once a year, it does need a service. Um, the other thing I'd say around this is that I highly urge anybody before, if they're overweight and struggling with obesity, it's highly advisable to do this sort of thing before you embark on weight loss. There are a lot of studies out there actually to show that if people lose a lot of weight very quickly, they, they actually inadvertently release huge amounts of stored environmental toxins from their fat tissue. And that can actually later on, they might have gained the benefit of the weight loss, which is fantastic, but actually it can actually generate downstream chronic health issues from these toxins they've released. So if they do this first and then go on to do their weight loss, whatever it is, and in fact, this is the first step in the weight loss, isn't it? Because it's a calorie restriction um, issue. But at least while they're doing the weight loss, they've actually got these binders there ready to grab the released toxins. Um, makes so, me think about like people a lot of people over time will yo-yo weight might go to uh, weight watchers or whatever and they'll suddenly gain 15 pounds they'll shift those 15 pounds and that makes me think of that if they're just doing that but they're not actually you know yeah they're not really getting to the root and flushing out the toxins and it's just going to play down further stream um yeah it's really fascinating information yeah and of course those you know those toxins uh, affect insulin resistance they, they have all sorts of effects you know a lot of them are estrogen mimickers and endocrine disruptors so they they then alter our, our endocrine system and some of those things can then if, be behind the reason people can't maintain weight loss because of you know all these hormones have an interplay with one another and one of the key ones is a hormone called leptin which is released in the brain and it controls our satiety in other words our hunger um, so if you have abnormal leptin levels, um, you're going to find it very hard to, to control hunger and, and weight. Um, so I th I th what, if, if we start to try and pull all of this stuff together, um, Rob, when we come back to the matrix and we just look at what we can think about around the modifiable lifestyle stuff. And we've talked about quite a lot of it already as we've gone through the results. Um, we spoke at the beginning about the sleep. Now, obviously, as we said, your, your young child's an uncontrollable, but some of the things we could look at to see if we can help you a little bit is, um, one is, is, is low blood sugars something that's happening during your sleep and causing a cortisol spike in a wake up? I think it may be worth you wearing a continuous glucose monitor for a couple of weeks to fully understand what, what, what is going on with the blood sugars. Now, maybe the one-off blood result we did is, uh, you know, just picked up a single point and it's not really meaningful. You know, maybe you have no problem at all and it may be fine, but it will give us the answer. Um, I'd, the, the, the easiest option at the moment is you can, one can get an Abbott Libra um, single patch off the Abbott Libra site. They, they're one of the two validated continuous glucose monitoring systems out there. Um, 
and it's pretty affordable to just get one single two-week patch. These patches last for two weeks. They're not directly measuring blood sugar. They're measuring blood glucose in the interstitial fluid, but it correlates extremely well with blood sugar. So it's going to show trends, and it's 24-7. So we'll see what's actually happening in the three in the morning, four in the morning when you wake up. And for the two weeks you wear it, you want to try and sort of diarize and collect as much info as you can so you can learn from it. And the sort of things that are going to affect the blood sugar is going to be your sleep, stress, timing of food, type of food, amount of food, exercise. So all those variables. And for instance, you, you do time-restricted eating, which is metabolically great. But it'd be interesting to see what the difference is between whether you do early versus late time-restricted eating. In other words, whether you're eating... so. If somebody's eating on a six-hour eating window, that six hours could be 8, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Or it could be 12 noon to 6 p.m., for example. Now, that those may cause different metabolic results. And we know from the studies on time-restricted eating, the blood sugar stability was better in earlier time-restricted eating versus later. The problem is earlier is not very socially compatible. If you're going to have your last meal at you know four in the afternoon where the rest of the family is going to eat later. So there's pros and cons to everything. But it is something that's interesting to look at. Um, and that's because our body is generally more insulin sensitive in the morning than in the evening, for example. Or if you're going to look at where you get most of your carbohydrates, you can see whether it's better having it at breakfast in, in the earlier part of the day versus the later part of the day. So yeah. those are all things there. Yeah, it's interesting. I tend to do what I would, like, for instance, I've not really eaten yet. So once we had finished this, I would go and have, that would be my my first main meal. Um, but I'm actually, in, just intuitively, I'm starting to feel like actually shifting that and actually doing it, uh, having a big, much eating, much more in the morning, um, having that there. And then we tend to eat quite early at night anyway because of the little ones. So we'll have tea about okay. five, five o'clock anyway. So it's not, not difficult to make that change at this yeah. stage. Yeah. And I'm the same. If I'm not at work, I eat with the children at five. So I can easily shift it the, the other direction. And I think the longer you stop eating before bedtime, the better. Yeah. So that makes that end better as well. Um, obviously, around sleep, it is making sure we've optimized all of the different sleep hygiene interventions, but I'm not going to go through all the different things there. I'm just focusing on these specific things we saw in our results and questionnaires. Now, one of the things we picked up earlier was the symptoms of low GABA, the neurotransmitter GABA. Now, um, I'm suge I suggest that we trial with you and, and one can pick up quite quickly just by trying it a few times, um, some supplemental GABA. It is just an amino acid. It's perfectly health, uh, safe. It's, it's a naturally occurring amino acid in the body, but we can get it in supplemental form. And I'd, the best way to take it is sublingual. In other words, we open the capsule and just have the powder in them so that it absorbs in your mouth rather than your stomach that gets better absorption and you have it between meals. So it's not competing with the protein in your food. It just goes. Uh, it, it, um, in a lot of people, a lot of people can immediately feel less anxious if they were anxious before, sometimes as quickly as five minutes. Wow. But it also, one, so one can use it 
if necessary, one can use it uh, in between meals through the day to feel more relaxed. Um, but it can also help asleep um, if one has a dose, one of the doses later towards bedtime. Um, and it can further help further with sleep if it's taken together with another amino acid called theanine. They augment one another. So if there's if there's a bit of tension that's involved with with uh, sleep quality, that's something that may help there. I've actually taken theanine. Actually, um, do you have to cycle it though? I'm right in thinking because your body can become used to it, and um, and then you don't get quite get the effect. Is that the case with some? Um, um, I, I don't think there's any scientific side to that right. because it's not it's not like it's made in the body it's so it's these amino acids so you're going to be in you will be take them in in some way through foods and things it's just that if you need a bit extra you're not going to get that optimal dosage through through diet um but i mean i i always think it's quite handy to cycle lots of things so you, you know you come off and go on again is not a bad thing um, so those are just thoughts there around one is to use a continuous glucose monitor to see if that if you're getting lots of sugar spikes, uh, sorry, lows, obviously that can add to anxiety, it could be causing your energy, some of the energy problems, and it could be a sleep disruption. So the continuous glucose monitor would give some answer on all of those aspects. Um, then we can also look at the things we can do about it once you've got that information. Um, and again, if you're getting woken up with blood sugar dips at night, there are a few simple things like having a very small protein snack closer to bedtime, which will just give a very gradual release, slow release of, of glucose to avoid that dip at three, four in the morning. I, th I think I remember listening to Tim Ferriss talk about that in his four hour body um and how he would have nut butter before you go to bed and that would tend to help him sleep better yeah the other thing i find works quite well for people is to uh, mix up a mixture of mct oil and melted coconut oil and just have like a spoon a teaspoon and you can build it up gradually over time to a tablespoon just before bed and that's just going to give a very a long lasting slow energy trickle from fatty acids and ketones uh, and then then it doesn't matter so much if the glucose is a bit low because the body won't react with cortisol because it's still getting energy from the uh, that that uh, ketone mcts and 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 coconut wow so there's different ways to i like the sound of that one um exercise and movement it's finding a way to introduce the other components. You're doing a really good job with aerobic endurance, but it's trying to get that uh, resistance training and, and uh, range of motion, flexibility, stability. In. The, so there's a couple of concepts here that I think are worth it. You're really busy. You've got a lot of plates you're spinning, different things you're doing. Um, something that I find very helpful is what I call exercise snacks. So... If you tell somebody they need to twice a week do an hour in the gym doing powerlifting and weights and stuff, they very often end up doing zero because they can't fit in the hour. So instead, if we look at this concept of exercise snacks, where you, you literally say you're working at home on podcast, graphic design, whatever you do, you might, set, you might say on the top of the hour, every hour, you literally do a couple of minutes of exercise, which in its own, 
will will feel like nothing. It won't feel like a workout. But what? You, but you'll be amazed at the accumulated total volume over the entire day and the effect it has. Um, and the example could be, and it ob- obviously what you choose to do will totally depend on the individual's health and baseline fitness and what they can cope with. So, uh, you know, where I'm working here, I've got a whole whole range of kettlebells. So I might get up and do 30 kettlebell swings at the top of the hour, which is nothing for me. But if I did that through the day, I can, without even realizing it, accumulate 300 kettlebell swings at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I might do some swings and do 10 press-ups. And because you're doing 10, because you're doing a small amount of the thing, you also aim on doing it with perfect execution and perfect form. Or I do five pull-ups, whatever. But you get the idea. Um, and that's something that I that can just be incorporated into every day, this idea of exercise snacks or micro-workouts. And there's quite a few studies behind this on huge benefits on metabolic health. Because what it's also doing is breaking prolonged sitting, which we know is a huge negative on lifespan and metabolic health. So it's just that little two-minute, five-minute breakup of doing that thing. In, in terms of specific exercise to get bang for buck, um, I, for me, I think for people who are time limited or if we've got people who've never done serious resistance training or a lot of my much older patients who there's going to be risk involved in terms of joints and being able to do movements, et cetera. I've got three approaches to strength training that I like, which can be done at, um, well, two of them can be done at home. The other one's a bit trickier. Um, One is kettlebell training in terms of time efficiency and cost effectiveness. Because essentially, even if you just bought one kettlebell, now metal cast iron kettlebells are expensive, but you've got one for life. You can't break these things. (laughs) They're indestructible. They're going to outlive us. Um, And if one had one of uh, appropriate weight, you can do hundreds of exercises. And even if you only did two things, if you did a if you did a kettlebell swing and you did a goblet squat, you're literally covering the vast majority of your primal movements and you get excellent cardiovascular and strength training. So that's a very effective tool. Now the downside is you you need you need to learn very good technique. Now there's there's very reputable people online YouTube, et cetera. But in the ideal world, you'd maybe find a kettlebell trainer and get some hands-on training and then carry on on your own. But that's something that takes no space, can stand in a corner of a room and you can get an awesome workout in 10 minutes. How, how would someone determine what would be the ideal weight that they should go for? Um, it's usually suggested to start off with a, a 16 kilogram kettlebell for an average male if you're going to buy a single kettlebell and for an average female, uh, an eight to 12 kilogram kettlebell, they tend to go up in four kilogram increments. So you can get anything from a four kilogram kettlebell up to, you know, quite big weights, but um, the there's big differences in jumping four kilograms in a kettlebell is a much bigger jump than jumping four kilograms in a dumbbell in terms of how it feels and what you can do. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So, but, but you can do a lot with a single kettlebell. 
The other type of training which has a lot of research behind it is, is a concept of, um, there's a book called Body by Science written by Dr. Doug McGuff. And he's really looked at the metabolic chemistry and the science and everything behind exercise. And he's got a gym setup where he specializes in training pretty unfit, metabolically unhealthy, quite elderly patients in there. And he uses he uses machines because that they make it completely safe. You know, so it's your standard sort of gym machines. But the concept behind this is super slow training. So the whole workout that he's devised is done in about 12 minutes to cover your entire body. And you'd only do it twice a week. Amazing. But this is more for somebody who has access to a gym. So it's five exercises, which covers the five fundamental movements. Because if we break down strength training, you think of everything as a push and a pull. So one always wants to incorporate an upper body push. An example would be a push-up. You're pushing your body away. An upper body pull, an example, say a pull-up, you're pulling your body. A lower body squat movement and a lower body hinge movement. So a hinge is like a deadlift, so it's like picking something up off the ground and a squat. And then the fifth movement is, is carrying something heavy, a weighted carry. You know, those really are the only primal movements. So every exercise you come up with, you're trying to hit one of those five movements and incorporate them. So the idea behind it is that he, he has these, he uses five different machines covering most of those kind of movements, but you only do one single set per muscle group, but you take five seconds to raise the weight and a five second count to lower it. And you're only doing five repetitions. So you're going super slowly and you won't believe how hard that is. So the whole idea is that when you reach that last rep, it's an absolute all-out effort to be able to move it that slowly and complete it. So it takes, you've got to really push yourself, but he's trained people in their 70s, 80s, and it's so safe because you're moving so slowly. You know, it, it's incredibly safe on the joints and everything else. But you, you and, and then you move immediately to the next movement, and it's the same thing. It's a super slow so that's a great approach. And then the, the last one, which is one I think you, one which people can do at home and you can use all sorts of movements and you can scale it to any level. And that's the concept of blood flow restriction training, which is where we place occlusive bands either on the very top of the arms or the top of the thighs. And they add a tension that stops the... The, the, the blood flowing back in the veins out of the muscle, but not so tight that it stops our arterial flow into the muscle. So we're not cutting off our blood supply to the, to the limb, but we're just reducing the blood getting back out. And then we do certain exercise in a certain way. And what it does is it massively amplifies the strength gain you get off that exercise. Because while you're exercising with this blood flow restriction on, it's building up all these metabolites in the muscle, and then you suddenly release it afterwards. And there's a huge amount of research behind this. And the Japanese have been doing this for 20 years, and all the elderly citizens do blood flow restriction training or katsu training, they call it. So there are high-tech devices you can buy, which do this much more accurately, where it actually measures your blood pressure 
and then automatically adjust the tension of the cuff to the perfect pressure to just stop the venous flow. You can get very cheap, you can get cheap bands, you can buy on Amazon that you've got to kind of guesstimate the tension based on how it feels, which is what I use. Um, but at some point, I, I would like to invest in the, the expensive bands that do it optimally. Um, but essentially, if you put these things on, you might do a set of bicep curls. The great thing about it is because of the increased difficulty with the blood flow restriction, you can only lift about 40% of the, your one rep maximum. So it vastly reduces the risk of injury, particularly in untrained unfit or elderly people, because you're lifting a much lower weight, but getting the same result, you would get off a twice as heavy weight, if you see what I mean. Um, so if you normally did a bicep curl with 10 kilograms, you would only lift four kilograms. But what you do is you do a particular protocol, 30 repetitions, you only have 30 seconds rest, then you do another 15, 30 seconds rest, another 15, and then another 15. So it adds up to 75 repetitions and they're done in about two to three minutes. It's extremely challenging when you actually do it, but it feels great when you release these bands. But if somebody's starting from a very low level, they might do bicep curls with no dumbbells, just their arms and do that movement for the reps. And they could even do the leg ones without actually doing an exercise. They could just walk around for five minutes with blood flow restriction bands on and get strength gain in the legs. But equally, you can do air squats or you could then, when you're stronger, do goblet squats to the kettlebell. So think about those options because as you said, it is key now you're in your 40s to really work on the lean muscle mass and the resistance training. We can maintain aerobic fitness much, much easier right through into our 80s and 90s, but we lose lean muscle mass fast. Um, the other bit to incorporate for flexibility mobility, you, you mentioned you used to do yoga, which is brilliant, but the difficulty is again time and fit these big classes. Yeah. And ideally, what I want you to look at is I'll send you a link. There's a chap that I like called Max Shank, who's a very good strength and conditioning coach, who developed something called the five minute flow, where you really just use five minutes of a flow. Um, and he's got, there are a couple of different ones to really just get all the joints mobilized and moving. And it's a great thing to do first thing in the day and just make it part of the lifestyle. And rather do five minutes every morning than do a one-hour yoga class once in two weeks. Yeah, that's, def that's definitely the thing. When I used to have more time on my hands and um, I used to be able to get up in the morning, I would take 45 minutes to an hour to do it to my own yoga sequences and meditation, you know, and stuff like that before I'd even start the day. So to be able to, I can fully uh, on board or appreciate now it's like with people who have uh, got more things, juggling plates and um, I've got young children. Yeah. So to be able to do five minutes, which we can all do, it's just having the motivation to say, I'm going to do that. Yeah. So that's why I thought these ideas, if you do a five minute flow in the morning, it's five minutes, it's meditative as well. And then if we, you look at as you know, most days of the week to incorporate some micro workouts, exercise snacks through the day. And then if you want to do a specific strength workout, there's one of those options, which one can do 10, 15 minutes twice a week, which again is, is manageable. 
yeah, particularly yeah. the little <laughs> talk talking about little ones some of the kind of things i used to do when mine were babies uh, i actually used to incorporate them as part of play in my strength work so i'd do goblet squats with with the baby so i'd hold the kit there and do squats down and up and then do it as a you know go from a squat to a to a press and press the kit up and you know, you know. and then you you're using them strength training so you've got whatever 15 kilograms or whatever it is that's it yeah i've got that now i'm not sure what she's weighing at the moment but it's a bit like you're saying with the um with the kettlebells increasing in kilos so i'll be starting low and then a year okay. later she'll be four kilos ever in a year later um but i do a lot i must admit i do a lot with her and she's actually definitely making me stronger but i think um yeah having this well, I, I, I used to let them sit on my back and do a press up you know and it's all stuff the kids love it's fun for yeah, them yeah yeah they do yeah you get them to pile on top of you and then try and get up off the floor you know so these are all it's all strength training without being with and but it's play it's play it's playing it's also for me as well thinking about that for the child it's also encouraging healthy habits for them as they're growing up and they're seeing you being active and look after yourself and how it is it's just it's creating a good blueprint for them in the future yeah they don't know any different might have all just grown up just seeing me working out all the time and and now they can join now now my son out swims me now wow. <laughs> so uh yeah and then move, moving on along yeah i was just thinking you've you've got a lot of stuff on your plate on the stress side of things and we've all had increased external stresses and you you'd listed in the in the intake documents the different things that you're involved with at the moment and something to consider in a, a book i'd recommend is called um essentialism and in fact i've opened a, a web page here essentialism by greg McKeown. if you haven't come across that that's worth looking at and you can see there the disciplined pursuit of doing less um, and he, he gives a very good approach and structured tools in, in essentially about actually working out amongst all the things one's involved with, which are actually essential and trying to get rid of stuff, which is very hard. And I'm, I'm the biggest culprit myself. Um, but, you know, some, some of there's, if we, if we think of stress, we've obviously got breath work and we've got meditation. We've got all the things we do to try and, modulate how we cope with stress but the other end of the coin is actually to look at which are the controllables and which are uncontrollables in life that are actually causing the stress and there's uncontrollables you can't do anything about you've got a young child now that's an uncontrollable yeah. we can't do anything about covid or ukraine or any of those things but then there may be things that are controllables that one can then look and see can can we alter some of those to reduce a stress load yeah that sounds fascinating and um, i'm really interested in the practice of like minimalism and living a life in terms of um yeah that you're really conscious of the, your time that you're using on on stuff so um yeah that's because it, it's you know it's, it's very easy for us all to get excited about something isn't it? and to say yes you know and the real strength is in maybe saying no or being or uh, letting go of stuff that's right and he gives in his book he gives tools for for doing that that's good to know oh this one you've got now james clear yeah that's uh... so if you haven't read that then atomic habits is well worth looking at because all of this stuff is about incorporating creating habits that stick and 
atomic habits, atomic is just the concept that the way to incorporate habits and make them permanent is starting with very, very small interventions and habits. Um, and where people fail is to try and make massive lifestyle changes all at once. Very few people can achieve that. And it requires um, willpower and willpower is, is a limited commodity and then falls apart. So much better is to create, is to, you know, is to say, okay, I want to start meditating. So the person who says, okay, I'm going to do 20 minutes of meditation a day, they do that day one and by day two, it started to fall apart. And then it goes to zero. Whereas instead of they say, well, I want to start meditating, I'm going to set out to meditate for one minute every day. And that's a manageable. And then the one minute can maybe in a few works time, it builds to two minutes and so on. The, the other bit around atomic habits is to make it hard to do the wrong thing and easy to do the right thing. So an easy habit, so an easy thing there might be to only stock the fridge and pantry with healthy foods and to eliminate all processed foods in the house, house altogether. So it doesn't rely on willpower. Um, the stuff's easy there. Or if you want to do a workout and say you wanted to ride your bike after work, before you go to work, you actually have the bike set up in the room where you're going to walk into ready to go. The bike kit's on top of it, the helmet's sitting on top of that. It makes it so you walk in, it's easy to do it. So it's all this about structuring your habits in a way that they, they you know, it, 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 it's got a structure there. And then the other one that's covered there is this idea of habit stacking that you can stack good habits together. And the easy one there is about that morning routine. It may be that you actually work your, your ideal habit stack is that you, you get up, you come downstairs, you drink this glass of filtered water, you go outside, you stand with bare feet in the lawn, so you've got grounding, you do the five-minute flow, and uh, you, know, you then go for a walk. You've kind of stacked four habits together they're quite time efficient. And the one habit actually is a mental prompt to lead you to the next habit because they, they're linked in your brain together as one following another. So I always urge everybody to have a look at, at atomic habits. For people listening to this and stuff, they're sometimes going through, obviously we're very, um, we're getting really into the, into the nitty gritty with some of that stuff, but it just goes to show what's actually possible. And, it's sometimes just having that it's really important sometimes to have that one-on-one someone that expert like yourself you can look at this stuff and take that all your expertise and look at it and just like for instance just saying like like i know on that going back to that chart the the five different things if i even if if i can nail the sleep element more or how i'm feeling and that that's going to have a huge impact because i'm going to feel like exercising more you're going to wake up the day feeling you can stack those habits better rather than sometimes you can feel like you know you have to do it, but it can be a bit more of a struggle. But if you're already waking up feeling more like you've had that sleep, that refresh, you're already in a far better place. I think focus on them elements. And I think some of the stuff you spoke about seem manageable, you know, we're in the low blood glucose monitor, something that I've been thinking about for a while, but this seems like it's the push Um, and just making little... It's, it's like, it's tweaks, isn't it? Or just having that awareness of going, actually, you know what? That would be really important. That could be really key. Looking at these metrics, looking at these, this thing you say, well, it looks like you're deficient in this. This would be really important for you to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, there, there's some small, there's some little details, you know, that we, we brush over. There's a few micronutrients we can look at 
thiamine, carnitine. We can assess zinc with a practical test um, and so on. But I think these others that we spent more time discussing are the big levers. And then we've got a few, some little levers that we can look at. Um, but I, I think the big ones are the ones we've discussed and that we you can actioning in the meantime. And then we can look at, a, look at those other details um, after that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really, uh, it's really interesting. I hope it's been ex very informative for me and empowering and again, you know, going for a spec, coming towards all those end bits and stuff you're talking about. It just feels like it's exciting as well. It's exciting to know that it, it's that clarity that you're getting given rather than sometimes feeling like you're just going, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that. And sometimes you can get success with stuff. Um, so to have that clarity go and go, okay, do these things. And it's been really interesting to be able to get that information and go listen to me saying, well, I have a limited amount of time now in terms of, but I work at a desk most of the time. So I can take those two minutes every hour to do this. Yeah. Um, and maybe having prompts, like I'm already looking, thinking behind my desk, I'm going to have, you know, this written out, this thing, do this, do this. We're just so, I think if you have stuff in your environment that just reminds you rather than, you know, you took it away in the drawer somewhere, it can just help to be that prompt. And once you've stacked those habits, then it's just, it's as if, you know, you've fired those um, neurons in your brain. So you just naturally start doing it. Yeah. And you, you, you might, let's say, for example, I'm not suggesting that you use kettlebells, but if you did, you have the kettlebell next to the desk. So yeah. you see it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's there. You can't, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think I think we're very lucky the times we live in now because a lot of what we've discussed, yeah, and the ease with which we can have access to things like continuous glucose monitors, this didn't exist even a few years ago. So uh, it, it's vastly easier to to do a lot of these things now. If anyone's interested in that, can you show them? Because we got the the Amazon page up. Are they available on there? The is it the Abbott one? Um, you probably better with um, going straight to the Abbott Libra site. So the other the other CGM is Dexcom, but I don't think Dexcom six is available in the UK off prescription, because of course these devices are really designed and marketed and prescribed in the NHS towards insulin-dependent diabetics. Um, but they've now vastly moved across to, you know, the general person who wants to optimize health. Then there, there are a whole range of companies now which are using the Abbott disk, um, but created their own software. But most of them aren't available in the UK at the moment. So there's a company called Levels and there's another one called NutriSense in the US, which it's worth looking at their sites because they provide a lot of information and on there around how you can modulate the, uh, you know, the glucose through the lifestyle stuff. For the people out there who are athletes, there's a company called Super Sapiens who marketing to endurance athletes and using the CGM to optimize their nutrition for endurance training. Um, I, I wore a CGM last year when I was training quite hard for a couple of weeks to see what my metabolic health was like and also trying to fine-tune my nutrition for my training. Um, so I used the Super Sapiens, but they're essentially using the Abbott Libra CGM. All they're doing is, is using their app to connect to it. So these come with a smartphone app that you download 
and then you'll see all the metrics there on your on your iPhone or whatever. Wow, and you can, download, you, can, you can download the data and dump the data and all the graphs and everything else. So basically what you want is just to take the 14-day free trial and then not use it after that. And then also... They're trying to incorporate people in a subscription model because if you're a diabetic, you're obviously going to be on a permanent subscription model and you know wear one forever. But most people I speak to are just after wearing it once for two weeks and make a diagnosis. Well, that's good to know. And then you recommend as well alongside that the chronometer so you input in what you're actually eating during that time more. Yes. And some of the, I'm not sure the Freestyle Libra iPhone app allows you to do it, but I know the Super Sapiens one did. You could also annotate your food within the CGM's app itself. But I would recommend if you haven't done chronometer before to at least do it once. Um, I'll just... Uh, just see if there's i'll just enter into so this is what chronometer looks like and it gives a it gives a complete breakdown of all your amino acids minerals vitamins all the different types of fatty acids that you're eating um, and then the big level breakdown of your dosage of net carbs proteins fats and calories so you'll just see if i put anything in yeah, and it covers most of what you'll find in the supermarkets in the UK. So if I just put in eggs and put in four eggs, it'll just do give an arbitrary. It starts to pick up there. So we've got 21 grams of fat from that, 25 grams of protein, calories, but then it's breaking down the vitamins and minerals, all the B vitamins. So again, it's, it's phenomenal, isn't it? When you see it, if you're um, you're looking at that, there, it's just wow. And is yeah. this a subscription model as well for people, or do they? Is it? How does it work for the to get a subscription? So setting up yeah. on this, yeah. So you can uh, you you can get um, the basic one is free. If you get a gold, you paying forty nine a year. I have the professional version, so I can send it to two clients and I can send it to 10 clients and then I'll look at my end or I'll get people just to set theirs up. Um, but you, but you can do a free version with that doesn't give you all of the, um, everything that the, the full one does for, I think you can do a free version, but this is the most medical grade app. There's, there's lots of, you can add excise into it. You can add, you can include your supplements, which will then further include the supplements in the measurement of the vitamins and minerals, as well as the food. Um, and there's all sorts of settings and put in there what you, um, what diet you're trying to achieve. So you can put in there keto or paleo, whatever. And it'll also show whether you're hitting those targets. Wow. Yeah, so not quite a lot of functionality. And how long do you think it would take someone each day to do, to to be doing something like that? Obviously, the um, the glucose one's just you plugging it on. That's yeah. fine, great. Two weeks later, you have got all this data. Um, yeah, fairly quick because there's a smartphone version, so you could do it in real time while you're eating on your on your iPhone. And if you eat fairly similar meals, you can actually set it up as you can create some meals within chronometer as a template type of thing. So then you can quickly 
just click the same template over again. But I, I, I discourage people from doing it continuously because I, I never want people to become obsessed with a diet. I know. I, I, I like people to do to just put in two two or three days of food so we can capture an average before I see them the first time. So I see what their baseline is. Then I can advise them on what to change dietary wise, both in macronutrients or type of diet or therapeutic diet. Um, and then just get them to periodically once in a few weeks, just check one day just to see whether they are starting to achieve what we're trying to achieve. And for most people, once I understand what, what food gets them to where they need to be on chronometer, they can then just eat intuitively after that. Yeah. But it just provides that initial education. I think that's really key, that saying that, isn't it? Not to this long time, because I know myself in the past, I remember doing the, the AIP diet really intensely for 30 days. And there was a there was almost a, a bit of a fear came over me a little bit thinking, you know, I'm going to start reintroducing foods again. Which foods are they? And it, it becomes, you don't want to get in that place where you're actually scared of food yeah. or you got that fear and you kind of just, yeah, you want to get into a healthy mindset with it as well. So yeah. I think doing this is brilliant to do it for that short bit rather than yeah. feel like you don't want to become obsessed, obsessed with stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are always surprises in there because you might be eating what's a good diet on paper but it might turn out that you 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 really way behind in what you should be eating protein wise yeah. for instance that's the most common one i see uh, or your three six ratios out or whatever that sort of thing zinc coppers ratios out and then you can do something about it i think what's great as well with the blood glucose, blood glucose monitor is like some people you know for instance it's really I, I particularly use my wife as an example i totally tell like she can be i think she can eat foods which definitely eat foods which uh fine for her but not for me so if we were to wear one continuously i could eat rice and rice could really trigger it for me but for her rice would be fine or grains would be fine for her but trigger meat you know it's interesting that yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And a good book on this is Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf, where really we've shown that people are absolutely individual in their response to different carbohydrates and exactly as you say. And unless you measure it with something like a CGM, you've no idea. And, and it may turn out some people can actually be absolutely fine with some quite high carbohydrate foods. And for them, they, they can get away with it. Um, and But there might be another carbohydrate that they can't get away with and this this gives you know gives you knowledge as power yeah um, the final thing i'll say on that whole blood glucose regulation thing um an incredibly powerful but such simple thing is just going for a 10 5 to 10 minute walk about 20 minutes after you've you've eaten it it just shifts the, the sugar out of your bloodstream into your muscle stores way faster and have a look at this when you're wearing the continuous blood glucose monitor. Just have a look and see what happens to the glucose peak when you go for a walk while you're walking. It's phenomenal. Hard exercise actually put your blood pressure, your blood sugar actually jumps up. And that's because you release adrenaline and stress hormones. Yeah. And it, it doesn't go up in a bad way. It's just part of your, it's not, it's not what you've eaten. It's more to do with the stress hormones. But going for a stroll doesn't do that. It just bluntens your blood sugar and it just comes down almost straight away. Wow. And that's just like, that's a simple thing, isn't it? Like that, you know. It's another one tip I'd give anybody out there, you know, that I need to change without changing anything they eat. 
if they just do a 10 minute walk 20 minutes after eating big difference game changer wow incredible i'm wondering so if someone's listening to this now and they're going you know what this is amazing it's been really interesting to see rob's kind of process here and 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 the journey i've kind of done with stuff and the way the way you've gone through it all um if someone's listening to this thing you know what i would love to um I'd love to be able to uh, do this myself with uh, Anton. How, how do they go about this process with you? Um, probably the easiest, Rob, is if you put my uh, pop my website in your show notes somewhere and they can get hold of me and, and uh, if they're interested in working with me, book book via the website. I'll, I'll also just open it here if this is captured on video. Um, yeah. There's there's the site. Um, I, I I work I work I work via Zoom, so I can consult uh, with with people all over the place. Uh, it works very efficiently, as we've just seen, because really the podcast is more or less mirrored how a, how a consult goes, and and my consults are first consultation um, is an hour and a half, but not infrequently goes on to two hours because we can see how quickly that time goes. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, um, and how does it work for the person who's coming? So they get this information from you and they'll do the, the Zoom call and then at, at the end of it, they would be given, you know, you'd send them over some sort of like document or pointers or the process would be for them. Yeah, so I, I, I provide a, a detailed report. Um, they, they get a Zoom recording of the consultation um i set up a cloud folder a secure cloud folder which they get a link to so they can download their zoom recording um any results that we've got in there and a report um the re- the report will give the 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 whole suggested um if it's specific targeted supplementation there will be links to the sites which are you know, the product the things i recommend um and the and then I provide a range of supporting documents depending on where we think the issues are. So, up-to-date evidence I have on optimizing sleep. I've got a guidance document for that. I've got a similar thing for for stress optimization, and so on and so forth. You know, so if there's a very specific area, you know, guidance around continuous glucose monitoring and 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 so on. Um, then depending on what it is and of course if we if there's a particular um therapeutic diet that's 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 uh that's going to be useful then i'll I'll provide the document on how to do that and so on and so forth so um it i I also recommend that people consider working with a, a health coach as well as me because as you can imagine the amount of interventions can be overwhelming um, and often the more ill somebody is and the more brain fog they have the harder it is to take on all of the stuff that that um, you know that may be required um, so working with somebody that can almost coach them through it and help implement the plan can be very valuable but at the very least I point people I, one of my documents is a document just about how to implement the plan and that is consider a health coach or otherwise are the the uh, concepts within books like atomic habits 
Yeah, that sounds really great, really useful, brilliant. Well, you know what, Anton, I, I feel quite privileged really I've been able to go for this journey with you and I hope it's helped the listeners and they'll be able to, um, and the watchers, because there's, if you are listening to this, I'd recommend that you, um, or you, it's probably at the end of the podcast now, but you would, you know, watch this on YouTube so you can actually see it all through because some of the information uh, really is fascinating, particularly what, um, what's happened with Blood Smart and how that's been built and put together. It's um it really is kind of cutting edge technology that we're, we've got available to now. And I think like you said, because of the way we live now, it's um, with the internet and the way we access to stuff, it is possible that, you know, more people can get inf- get hold of this information and it doesn't have, can some of it can be quite inexpensive for them to make some real um, yeah. empowering lifestyle changes, which can, you know, we can, I always think, you know, when I feel healthy, when I feel good, life feels a lot better. Yeah. If, you, if, if you're not and you're in a bad place, then everything can be a bit of a, you can feel like you've got your, you know, you're, you're just trudging along each day and it's no way to live. And I think you used a term before, something that's coming up for me a lot more is around like primal living. And you said about the, it's like these ancestral traits that we can use and particularly the kettlebell exercise and the way we eat and we be more in tune with how we work. Because, you know, the way we live now, it's such like a tiny fraction of time, isn't it? In in the way we've been, the way we've lived for the last 200 years, doesn't take into account the last 100,000 years. And it feels like we need to move more back into that way, which is really challenging the way we live now with technology and how busy life is and how stressful it is. It feels like that seems to be, we're getting encouraged. Well, I certainly feel like I'm encouraged to move back into more of our like kind of a primal ancestral way of being. Yeah, I think it's it's taking the best out of both. It's, it's um it's trying to live based on an ancestral template, which is which is really all of those lifestyle factors we talk through, but then taking not throwing away our technology, but really just taking the good bits out of the technology and and combining the two and getting the best outcomes we can. And I think going back to this approach, yeah, that we've been through, um, it's it's also again combining um, getting an incredibly detailed, thorough life history along with um, very useful symptom scores. And there are a variety of other symptom scoring questionnaires I use for other very specific problems, which add further information. And then intelligently combining that with with blood testing and the very fancy advanced things like machine learning algorithms. And again, it's that whole combination. You can't beat a very detailed history but then combining it with some of that tech that we use there as well and continuous glucose monitors and what have you. And, uh, and, and then we can, we can address all of these underlying things. It's an exciting time, isn't it? It is a really exciting time to be able to tap into this information and to, um, yeah, live a more, get back to an optimum way of being and living. Well, Anton, I really appreciate your, your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Okay. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks again for inviting me, Rob. There we have it. There's um, quite a, probably maybe my longest podcast I've ever done. Um, really, I know maybe it's in, in the in the in the weeds some of that information for some people, but I do think for for some of you who stuck around to the end of it to listen to that, will maybe be feeling power, empowered and inspired, maybe to work with someone like Anton or another functional medicine doctor to help you get to the root cause of some of maybe some of the health conditions you've having, or if you're just thinking, I want to be live more of an optimum way of being. I want to, you know, I want to thrive, and I think we don't just want to survive in this world. 
at times and it can feel like quite challenging and sometimes and it might feel like you're winning just survive but actually can we thrive as well and i think working with people like this or just making these certain tweaks to our health and our well-being can help us to thrive and we can live a better life from it and that's when i talk time to be when we become better versions of ourselves, we want to be healthier versions of ourselves, we can show up more for others in our world and our life and make that difference and do good in many ways if we're in that feeling in that better place, in that healthier place. So um, anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you had, please like and share it with a friend that you might like. Um, subscribe on the channel on YouTube. Also, if you're on Apple Podcasts to leave me a review, that would be brilliant. But anyway, um, yeah, check out Anton. I'll put links to a lot of the things that we've spoken to in today's episode and until next time have a good one